Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. This is a Dave Cruz from Madison, Wisconsin, and today we have a, quite a legend with us. Um, it's Nolan Bushnell, and Nolan uh, probably, probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'll give you a quick one anyways. So uh, Nolan founded Atari in 1970, which as we now know is one of the most iconic names in the U.S. history. He's also the guy behind Chuck E. Cheese and a number of other things. So it's hard to know even where to start, uh, what questions to ask. Um, currently, Nolan is the founder of Brain Rush, which is a game uh, um, game engine for learning. So they essentially make it easier to turn curriculum into games, which is very cool. And he's author, also the author of the book, Finding the Next Steve Jobs. So like I said, it's hard to know where to start. Uh, I, have so, I have a lot of questions, but uh, as we talked about beforehand, we are going to keep this to 20 minutes because... Uh, um, after 20 minutes, the brain starts to get a little distracted, and we'll we can talk about that. And um, but uh, so we'll talk briefly about his past, because of course I have to ask about Atari. But I'm definitely curious what he's up to in, uh, today as well. So, uh, uh, Nolan, thanks for uh, joining us today. Great to be here. Uh, hope we can have some fun here. <laughs> I, yes, definitely. I appreciate it. Um, so let's briefly talk about your background. Most people can read about your background, so we don't need to dive too much into that. You know, it's you've, you've quite the quite the background. But for uh, you started Atari back in 1970. I, I was curious, um, how did you come up with the idea, and how did you come up with the name? Um, I was blessed to be in uh, the right place at the right time, and uh, I put myself through college working at an amusement park. And uh, I was probably the only electrical engineering student in the world who was working as a carny. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had a... And, um, and I was good at being a carny, and they made me manager of the department. And so I really understood the economics of midway games and, uh, you know, throwing balls, knocking down milk bottles and, uh, arcades. I had two arcades reporting to me. So then winters, when I was, uh, at the university of Utah, it turns out that Dr. Evans was connecting video screens to big computers. And, um, almost no one was doing that. It was, in fact, there were only three places in the world. One was the University of Utah, one was Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab, and the other one was MIT Media Lab, or the MIT. Um, and a guy named Steve Russell had designed a game called Space War. And uh, I played it on the big computers and was totally smitten by it. <laughs> and I knew that if I could put a coin slot on that game, that it would earn some money in, in one of my arcades. But you divide the cost of a half a million dollar computer or a million, I have no idea how much it cost at the time, and 25 cents a play, the, um, the math didn't work. But the thought of it lingered with me, and uh, I felt that you know every day, because of Moore's Law and various other things, the computers were getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And I thought, you know, someday that's 
that price point is going to come within range. And one day I was, I graduated, went to work in industry for two years and I was sitting in my office and one day a magazine came across my desk that advertised a $5,000 computer, which was just mind-bogglingly cheap for that point in time. And I thought, maybe I can do that. And I started on some designs, ended up, you know, struggling with it for about six months, finally came up with a design that uh, would work, and we were off to the races. Interesting. And and uh, how long did it take uh, from the time that you, you came up with the designs to actually have a, a product in the market? I had a theoretical design in a, over the Thanksgiving holidays in 1969. By May of the following year, I had uh, essentially figured out a way to I figured out a, a methodology, enough that I could get a little bit of action on the screen, enough to that I could I license it to a company, and the product called Computer Space was in the market that fall. Wow, huh? That's fast. That's fast. Okay, and last, you know, we could talk. I could talk for three hours to you about Atari, but uh, last question on Atari. So, how how did you come up with the name? I was a I was a student of the Japanese game of Go. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I mean, and it's it's actually an Asian game yeah. played heavily in in Korea and China, but I learned the vocabulary around Go, in the Japanese game of Go, and a polite warning to your opponent that he was about to lose a bunch of stones. You'd say Atari, hmm. and I thought that was a cool name. <laughs> And it was kind of aggressive, and it it had gameness in it, and so uh, I gave it a shot. Well, it worked. <laughs> um, yep. it worked. All right, so let's talk more about what you're working on now and your current interests, you know, around um, changing education, and uh, and I also want to ask you some questions about just how you find new ideas. And as as I mentioned before, we got started this interview. You know, you have one of the, everyone should check out your Twitter feed. You have one of the more interesting tr- Twitter feeds. It just, it makes you think, um, like different posts that you have. And uh, so, where, so where, where do you find content or what do you read to, to stimulate your mind? I read a lot of science fiction. Um, it's my favorite genre. I also like historical fiction. Um, I'm a consumer of YouTube videos like it's going out of style and podcast <laughs> and um, and I just feel like there's so much out there to know that uh, you know inquiring minds want to know and I just constantly am trying to deep dive on various things that I become interested in it seems like you've been several years ago I got interested in education in the process, I have eight children, and wow. I started to believe intrinsically that the educational system 
in the world, not just the United States, is broken. It's patterned on a obsolete methodology that was created literally 300 years ago. And, uh, and it hasn't really changed in, in construct. And um, unlike most industries that have gained a great, great deal of efficacy and, uh, and efficiency using technology, education is not. And, um, and I really think that it's, it's, it's toxic in that way. Um, and I believe that school should have, get abandoned classrooms. Classrooms are everything. The minute you have a classroom, everything is wrong. Uh, I, I like to say there should be no grades and no grades. The, the difference between the lowest performer in the third grade and the highest performer is about four grades. So to keep them clustered together is ridiculous. Batch processing kids is not only stupid, but it's counterindicated by everything that we know about how people learn. Put it another way, when you're in a class, because of the differences in capabilities and backgrounds and life experiences and maturity, um, half the kids are lost, half the kids are bored, and there's maybe one kid that's being taught at the right speed. That's just stupid. <laughs> and... Um, and I think that we need to get much more focused on careers, not academics for academics' sake. And I think that we need to have kids be able to progress at their own speed and to triumph against themselves. Um, the whole idea of batch processing says that there are going to be some kids who are good performers, who don't have to work very hard to stay ahead of the class. And they can, they can end up being really bored because, you know, the material is too uh, fundamental, too boring, and you lose touch with them. The next thing is that you have a somebody who self-identifies as being, gee, I'm the dumbest kid in this class. Well, it, it may not be dumb at all, it may be that um, the person is just slower to mature and that if you allow them to move at their own pace, they'll be successful without the stigma of, uh, of feeling like they're behind their peers. The other thing that's a real problem with the classroom is that disruption. Inner city schools, teachers spend as much time if not more, in fact, I think it's 64% of their time trying to get the classroom settled down so that any learning can be done. Um, and is it a fault of the teacher? No, it's, it's a fault of the kids. You know, if you're a 14-year-old boy and you can get a laugh out of the classroom by being disruptive, you do it. What, 
what a classroom provides is a stage for disruption. And since teaching can't go on during disruption, it basically makes the classroom very toxic and inefficient and boring. Because while the teacher is trying to restore order, 60-70% of the class is bored out of their minds because nothing's going on. And so you really need to get rid of the stage that a disruptive student can have because if nobody's listening to them, they're not going to be disruptive. And I just think that, that, that by rethinking the classroom, we can fix school in a very fundamental way. So that's my that's my soapbox. All right. <laughs> I apologize. I, 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 I like it. I like it. And uh, um, you said it went to – there might be a little controversy behind it. So, no, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with you, though. And so if, if you were made superintendent of a school district with absolute power, you know, what would you do? You know, what is your vision? What do you do in that first, like, year or, um, you know, over the next five years? Like, do you have some ideas you would like to – you would implement? Yeah, I would um, – I would – get rid of most of the chairs. Um, I think that sitting on pillows, working on, on tablets, I think that there should be a, a great deal of individual learning going on. And the teacher roaming around student to student, helping them through a tough phase. But I think the software can deliver educational content significantly better uh, than a teacher can. A teacher should be an aid and a guide, not a source of information. Um, I think we should totally get rid of books. Hmm. I think that uh, a kid with 50 pounds of books on their back is just stupid and it's bad for their spine. <laughs> yes. And, and a Kindle, you can underline, you can do all the nice things, and it's what? seven ounces yeah. um, and, and you can have so many more books, so many more situations on a tablet and then it becomes interactive and you can do math on it and you can do internet searches and you can do a lot of things that are much more powerful than a book is. Um, my school, particularly in high school, I don't know if you've been in an incubator, uh, a small business incubator, yep, yep. where there's tables and chairs and computers and what have you. That's what a high school should look like, hmm. where everybody has their sort of niche, their computers, their stuff, and they're learning. They have a, uh, a schedule of, of things that they need to accomplish. As soon as they get them accomplished, they can play games. They can, you know, go into the, the lunchroom. They can hang out in the lounge. Uh, probably need to keep them on campus, but in certain cases, they can go home as soon as they've got their work done. And, uh, you know, rewarding diligence and stick-to-itiveness uh, is much more better is much better than rewarding how many times you know hey did you make it to school every day all day that's yeah, stupid right. that that's not a merit system 
it, that's a that's a uh, uh, an abusive system that that is not focused in the right direction. Do you know of any schools that are operating like this or that you can kind of hold up? Or is that the problem? There's no schools. There's, there's some, there's some attempts that are sort of messing around with it, but none, none of, everybody still has a classroom. Okay. And so some of it has to do with laws and, uh, and how schools are funded, which makes it very, very difficult. Would would you have a different mix different grades together? Because you know you gave the example of how um, the two students in the same class might be four grades apart, which I can imagine might even widen as time goes on, especially if one student's allowed to accelerate. Um, or how how do you break up the kind of the classes this way? I would have anybody could hang out with anybody else if <laughs> they wanted to. Um. Having different ages, you know, being in the same room. If we have a proper system, it shouldn't matter. Um, there's some benefits sometimes because sometimes kids can learn more from an older peer than they can from a teacher. That's true. That's very true. And so we're, we got a couple minutes left or so. And so uh, what are you uh, active uh, in this space? I know you have brain rush and uh i think i saw that you're gonna do some work of spill games um right yeah so uh, I'm, I'm designing a series of, of mobile games i'm doing educational games and i'm about to spin up an entrepreneurial college it's called the snap institute and we believe that we can teach very very cheaply all the skills you need to start a business, to create your own job um, at a very, very low cost. Um, And our system will be be a system like I'm talking about. It won't look like a classroom. It'll look like a collection of people pursuing knowledge to be able to become a very successful person career-minded individual. Do you think a, a physical presence is essential, or what about the, you know, of course, all the online learning? You know, I think that there's a good blend. I think that the the, the working together in teams has a real benefit. I think a, uh, a good education doesn't have just a a technical or a uh, a, uh, a data bias, but I think there's a personal skills, presentation skills uh, that are better with the group. Most companies are collaborative these days, and I think learning the right way and to collaborate, and maybe even find your partner in the business that you start is accelerated by uh, um, by having a physical presence. No, that makes sense. And when when do you hope to launch the this new uh, college? The first class will start September or uh, June sixth. Really? It, uh, huh. The physical plant is in Las Vegas, Nevada, 
we're going to be using the, the vast number of trade shows that are in Vegas uh, as part of our curriculum because a trade show is actually a snapshot of an industry. And I believe that many high school graduates have so little knowledge of the kinds of issues surrounding business that a day walking the trade show floor has to be one of the most educational experiences they could have. Well, that's pretty brilliant. That's a that's a great idea, uh, right? And it just gets some so you get so many ideas from trade shows. And you connect with people and you see what's cutting what's cutting edge in the industry. Um, well, that's good. I never I don't didn't think about that combining the college with trade shows. Huh? Interesting. All right. Um, well, I think uh, I think we're about out of time, unfortunately. For our since we're got to hear to about the, the twenty minute mark. But well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Yeah. Um, three months, six months from now, let's do it again and and cover some different sub- subjects. Hey. Oh, that'd be awesome. I always have that. Okay. That's perfect. I will. Uh, I'll reach back out and then we can hear. Yeah, we can get an update on the college and how that's all going. That'd be excellent. That'd be great. Awesome. We'll definitely uh, appreciate it. Your time and thoughts and. Um, I'm real. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you created Atari. So I played a lot growing up. <laughs> so, uh, I'm dating myself a little bit, but, uh, um, yeah. So, uh, thanks well, for coming. Thanks for coming on the show. Nice talking to you and, uh, let's do it again. Sounds good. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode and, uh, we'll see you another time. Bye. Thank everyone. You.